Welcome to episode 273 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's 8.27 a.m. and my anxiety level is rising because I need to get my kids into the car so we can get to the bus stop on time. This is the moment I feel the most pressure to step up as a parent and not give in to the angst that makes me want to yell at them to hurry up. My kindergartner is autistic, so rushing him often backfires in spectacular ways. Truthfully, my preschooler also doesn't like me to speak in a certain tone, even if he doesn't react in the same way as his brother. In lots of ways, my oldest is making me more aware of how I show up as a parent, and his brother is benefiting from the effort I make to be my best self even when I'm stressed. That said, I'm realizing that I have a lot more control over whether or not I get stressed to begin with. And that takes us back to my choices at 7.30 a.m. I can choose to get myself fully ready for the day before getting the kids in motion, or I can gently start moving them toward getting themselves ready while there is still a lot of time before the bus. I can aim to have them fully dressed and eating breakfast at 8 a.m. instead of 8.10 a.m., if I want to have some wiggle room when it's time to put on shoes and jackets. It's like when I ran fundraising events and would share external deadlines with sponsors so I could still squeeze in their logo as long as it met my internal deadline. So much of our work, even as solopreneurs, requires us to coordinate with other people. And we have about as much control around how they respond as I do controlling my kiddos. What we can control instead is the buffer of time between when we ask for something to be done and when we truly need it done. If we do this, we'll reduce our stress and our need to stress everyone around us. Your challenge for this week. Here is another concrete example. I recently shifted the reminder email I received for my podcast interviews. It had been popping up in my inbox two days prior, exactly when I want to send the guest a reminder email with their introduction. Sometimes I look for the draft intro file and realize my assistant hadn't yet done it. Because the timing was now so tight, it would be a drop everything and do this now kind of message, even if I never use those exact words. It took longer than I care to admit to realize I should get a reminder email five days out so I have it on my radar and could remind her I'll be looking for it in a couple of days. Then another email reminder three days out so I remember to check if it's done or send another nudge. That way, two days out, when I'm getting ready to send the message, there's a 99% likelihood that I'll have everything I need without stressing out myself or anyone else. What systems can you tweak so you're ahead of deadlines instead of chasing down what you need right when you need it? Trust me, it's so much better to be a few minutes early to the bus stop so I can hang out with my kiddos listening to music. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I wondered if you were looking for any other smart tips and strategies that will help you grow your online business. I'm excited to share that the giveaway I participated in last month was so well received that I signed up with another one. This one is called the Laptop Lifestyle Giveaway. Over 25 top experts are offering free tools, templates, and training, and over $27,000 in raffle prizes, all to help you have a location-independent business. If you have or want to have an online business, then I highly recommend you check out the Laptop Lifestyle Giveaway 
at robbysamuels.com forward slash giveaway. It ends on March 19th. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is passionate about helping thought leaders, business leaders, and podcast hosts design and elevate their podcast presence. She's a podcasting coach and consultant with deep experience in podcasting and content creation. She built Spartan's podcast from zero to over 35 million views and downloads, and has worked on a range of projects from social media advisor on a gubernatorial campaign to creating the documentary film Flood Bound to directing TV ads for Vermont Lottery. On her podcast, Grounded Content, she explores what works, what drives customer actions, and where the lines are between persuasion and manipulation. Please join me in welcoming Marion Abrams. I love that intro. I feel so important right now. <laughs> I like this person too, and I'm glad that you're here to talk to us. Marion, thanks for joining us from your place in Woodstock, Vermont. Thrilled to have you here. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell us, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I love this question because it really got me thinking before today. And I think for me, leadership is really about keeping everyone on the team or the group or the family focused on the ultimate goal, because it's so easy to get distracted by personalities or process or all the things that get in the way. But if you can continue to bring the focus back to the ultimate goal, you know, there's examples like in, in a family where the kid comes home and says, um, I hate that teacher. Like, I don't want to do the work. And you have to remind them, this is not for the teacher. The reason you do the work is to learn the stuff. So the ultimate goal is learning and education, right? Not the grade, not pleasing the teacher. So always keeping the focus on the ultimate goal, whether it's for business or personal stuff or family. I have to say, one of the, my biggest pleasures of hosting this show all these years is I'm surprised that people can come up with answers I haven't heard before. And I also appreciated two things. One, you talked about family. So I've had some people say, well, I'm a solopreneur. I don't know how, who I lead. And you were like, well, we all are part of family units, friendship circles, like leading comes in all these forms, but also that you defined it really just succinctly as you know, helping keep the focus on the ultimate goal when so much in the world can distract us, including, as you said, personalities, which I think is a major distraction in a lot of ways. Um, how did you start to realize that you had the skills to show up in the world in this way? So for 28 years, I lived in a town of 500 people. And in that town, what I realized was when you saw something that could be done better, you were really the only one to do it. And so I ended up um, rescuing the tiny all-volunteer library that had closed down. And I just invented solutions. And so I recruited other parents. We came up with a plan for running the place. We came up with programs. And that was where I really realized this idea that, you know, number one, anybody can make a difference. Number two, don't wait for other people to solve your problems. And number three, keep your eye on the ultimate goal. So if you have time for a library story, I'll tell you one. Yeah, yeah. This isn't my story, but I heard this story on a podcast and it was so amazing. And it, I would tell all my library volunteers this story, which is that there was a, a gentleman who is now, I believe, a doctor, maybe a professor also. And when he was a kid, he 
was not into school. He was not successful. And he was skipping class one day and he went into the library and he was hiding in the stacks. And while he was hiding in the stacks, a title caught his eye and he started to read this novel. And he liked the novel and he was too cool to check out a book. So he stole the book and he brought it home and he read it. And after he read it, he wanted to see if there were more. So we went back to the library and lo and behold, he found another book by the same author and he stole that one and he brought it home and read it. And years later, he met the librarian and he found out that she had been scouring all over to buy the next book so that it would be on the shelf for him to steal. And that to me is like why you have a library. So when the librarians or the volunteers would get hung up on late fees or, you know, who qualified for a library card, I would always remind them, this is why we're here. So that's that's a a great example of the ultimate goal. Marianne, that story gave me chills. (laughs) Okay. You also mentioned in the beginning of your story that you grew up, you were spent 28 years, you said, um, and this is where you grew up as well? No. Oh, you grew up somewhere else. So, okay. So the fact that you grew up somewhere else and then went somewhere for 28 years is even more incredible to me with 500 people. I will just tell you that I graduated, I graduated high school. My graduating class was 1300. My graduating <laughs> class was 13. Like, like I just, so you made me think of Natalie Siston who speaks about small town leadership. And I interviewed her in episode 39 or a long, long time ago. I'll go check that out. But I think it's it's a lot of what you're talking about. And I love this idea, like, don't wait for other people, you know, take action, try things, involve other people. Um, <laughs> but also, I imagine that who you were even before getting to this town influenced a lot of it. So who were you thinking back to like, I don't know, grade school, like the playground? How do you show up then? Are you are you organizing kids or are you kind of on the sidelines? Teachers know your name. Are you stepping up for opportunities to like run for office. Like what kind of kid are you? I was always super curious, but I was not too socially adept. And I do remember this like tremendous transition from elementary school where the cool kids were the ones who could play kickball, you know, to middle school where I just didn't understand what was happening at all. <laughs> like the whole how to curl your hair and that stuff I was not good at. And so I went through that whole process and had to really figure out who I wanted to be. And, you know, that's a gradual process. I'm still doing that, but sort of finally letting go of what other people want you to be and finding who you want to be. I wouldn't say I was a natural organizer, but I always spoke my mind. And so I often found myself in positions. So when I was in high school, I thought that the disciplinary committee structure could be changed. And I just happened to mention it to somebody and they were like, oh, well, if you want to do that, you should file this paper. And I said, okay. And I filed the paper and they said, oh, well, the next thing you have to do is, you know, get a petition signed. I was like, okay, sure. And then it was like, the next thing you have to do is stand up in front of the entire school and debate the entire school and explain why this change should be made. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And then it had to go for a vote. And next thing I know, I had like changed the entire disciplinary structure of my school, but it was never my intention to get that involved in politics or leadership or anything like that. I love that you're like, uh, I just had this thought and I happened to let it escape my mind. You happen to hear it. And now suddenly I'm in front of the entire school debating this rule. I I mean, I love 
that you kept saying yes, though, right? Like sometimes when we're getting involved in things, we don't know all the steps. We don't know all the effort that will have to happen. And that sometimes stops people because then they're like, they're nervous about what else might be around the corner. But you were like, well, I could do that next thing. I could do that. I mean, there's a sort of willingness to say yes that I can imagine also follows through into later parts of your career. When you were that age, though, like, you know, heading into college, did you, did you go to college? Was that part of the plan? I did. I have, yeah. I have an, a BFA in film. Did, so, oh, so you had a pretty clear idea of what you wanted to do back then. Was there like a, a plan for the BFA? Was there like a, this is going to lead me into a particular industry and I'm going to get a chance to be creative? Was that sort of the, the lay of the land? I, I love this question. And I have never been much of a planner. I have, I mean, you, you nailed it, right? I always just said yes to the next right thing. So every time there's a fork in the road, you pick the right one and you don't know where it's going to lead you, but eventually you end up in the right place. And so I transferred college three times in three years, but I did graduate with a film degree. Three times in three years. That's a searching soul right there. (laughs) Yes. But it was never escaping from one place. It was excited about going to the next place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was the plan for for after that? Did you have any sense of what came next? Or was it really just sort of seeing what opportunities popped up for you? So same, always seeing what opportunities. But I will say when I was still in film school, I took a course that was taught by a professor who produced films that I really liked. And I was excited about that. And halfway through the semester, he came to the class and he said, "Um, you know, we're so busy. I'm going to have to step down from teaching this class and someone else will fill in. And so I went to him. I said, I took this class because of you. Is there anything I could do, an internship, an apprenticeship to continue this relationship? And he said, we are so busy. We don't have time to teach an intern or an apprentice, but we need some help preparing our taxes. And if you want to go through, and this is when everything was paper, if you want to go through and balance all of our checkbooks for the year and do all the documentation, you can sit in the edit room while you do it and we'll pay you. And so I said, yes, I was not a math student. I was not a math major. This is like legal pads and pens, but it, you know, it was all logical and I followed it. And so I went through and I balanced his checkbooks for the year. And I ended up working for that company when I, when I graduated. Oh my, this is so interesting. (laughs) And it really, I mean, from what I know of you, this is a great archetypal story (laughs) who you are. You knew what you wanted. You first of all had the gall to go up and say that out loud, which is not something many of us are sort of given the gift to do. And he had boundaries, but he saw your eagerness and he said, well, there is something I need help with. And I think also in life, when we're trying to reach out to, I think, I think of them sort of influencers, people who a lot of people know, we think, well, what could we possibly give them? They have access to anything they'd ever want. But if you ask, they'll tell you. And so he was like, we need help balancing our checkbooks and getting ready for taxes, but you can sit in the edit room and we'll give you some money. And you were like, I'll figure that out. Like, I, what a cool way in and clearly just your mere presence over time made you a person they trusted and then they became willing to start to invite you in to do the stuff you actually wanted to do and you were able to work there i mean like a lot of other people a wouldn't have maybe would have just dropped the class and forgotten about their dream um would have asked and then been deterred by the counter offer like i i'm it's like asking a creative person to use their math brain (laughs) (laughs) it's like not what you usually expect um but you didn't 
you weren't like, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of detours, but you, you were like, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I mean, what were your spirits actually feeling good in that moment? Or were you like, Oh, totally good. Oh, really good. I mean, I'm a super curious person and I always loved work because it gave me like, I felt like I got a vision in that, like a vision into the back door. You know, when you're waitressing, you get to see how the restaurant really works. And when you're doing the checkbooks, you get to see how the edit room really works, which is why a career in film or podcasting works for me, because it's probably the only thing that would have kept me interested for this long. I think that what's so interesting is that I was told when I was 20 in 1994, my dad read an article that I would have four careers by the time I was 40, which I think was really helpful for my brain because I'm very entrepreneurial. Um, I didn't have the term transferable skills in my like lexicon back then, but I knew that the, these were going to build off each other. And I also had this sort of inkling that there might be something I would do that didn't exist yet, which at the time, 1994, things did not evolve like they do now. Um, but it set me up for a certain way of being in the world. Considering you now make a living through the world of podcasts, which most people who even listen to podcasts do not give a lot of thought to anything beyond you know, pressing the download button, you know, like, so how do you find yourself in this medium and like fully embracing this format, this particular way of, of sharing content with the world? So I think it is a lot to do with that, that journey of, you know, I'm not a big leaper. I'm a walker through every decision in life. And I got to a point where I looked back at what I've been doing and said, what are the through lines? And really, it was about how people convey their message and how they create content. And I had a specific depth because of some specific work I'd done in podcasting. And so that just made sense when I looked back and tried to figure out the patterns. And was that also correlating with you deciding to not work for somebody, but work for yourself? Or was that decision sort of separate from this? So the last time I worked for somebody was in the early 90s. <laughs> That's the way back. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and honestly, sometimes I think it would be great, but I don't even know how to do it. I mean, I seriously, like the, the most basic things I wouldn't even know how to do. I have just been sort of able to try new things and uh, always had sort of an eye for where the gaps are and where the through lines are and have always found independent work. So I've, I've worked for myself doing video production starting in the early 90s and then podcasting starting in 2014. Was it a case of somebody knew you had skills around video and then they were doing a podcast and they were like, can you help us with this? And you were like, well, sure. You know, I'll yeah, it, was the, uh, it was the founder and CEO of Spartan. Amazing. I was that, working with- That's intro to all of this. Well, he and I were working on a bunch of things. I had done a bunch of video production. This was before Spartan existed. I had started working with him early, early in brand building because I had done a bunch of action sports. I used to be a skiing camera person and I had the documentary stuff. I had enough little pieces that it made sense. And um, I was helping him promote his first book and getting him on a bunch of podcasts or he was getting on a bunch of podcasts. And he came to me one day and said, I think we should start a podcast. And that was pretty much it. I mean, that was the beginning. And I wow. am that stubborn person and that curious person that took that, took that. I think we should start a podcast. And, you know, eight years later, 800 episodes later, I'm still doing it. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it also shows the trust that you build, the relationships that you commit to, right? Like these things don't happen accidentally. They are incremental. They are yeah. opportunities that you keep saying yes to. As you said, you're sort of not a leaper, you're a walker, but you you are not shying away from those opportunities existing in your path. And I think some people, again, listening, could maybe open themselves up a little bit more to those forks that might continue to show up in the road. It's Some of us, I think, crave a straight line. And like looking back, um, I think almost everyone has a broken career path that makes sense in your head in retrospect, but along the way, it's like, well, we're not sure we're just gonna keep doing these things. So these days, um, this is sort of a meta conversation I'm now having with you because uh, before when we were getting started, I was joking that, you know, doing this with you, interviewing you is sort of like presenting my best hairstyle to someone who's famous for styling hair. Um, and so I'm like, you know, what do you think? I did this myself. Um, so how do you how do you position yourself uh, in support of podcast hosts and pod or podcasters um, so that they are really able to take advantage of this amazing medium? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is a lot of people start a podcast because either their friends told them they should start a podcast, or if it's a brand, you know, some marketing expert or some guru, or somebody told them that's the next thing, that's the next place they have to be. But they really haven't been intentional about what their message is, what the structure of the show is, who they're speaking to, all the things that most of these people understand in other contexts, they're not really applying yet to podcasting. And so I really like to work with them to get clarity on the message, to get clarity on the purpose. You know, this is back to, to your first question, the ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal of the show? And for some people, it's a form of creative expression. For other people, it's to sell a product, you know, to elevate their brand, whatever that is, knowing that, understanding how to balance the sort of in a pragmatic way, the resources and the goals and kind of put all that together. And then my favorite part is just really working one-on-one with the podcast hosts to help them practice, to help them think about how they're interviewing people, especially interviewing. It's, I mean, you've done it enough and you understand that it's an intentional conversation. It's not like a regular conversation. If you and I were talking, you would let me lead as much as you led. In this case, you're leading the conversation, you're directing it and making sure we cover certain topics. But at the same time, you're mostly listening because it's about, you know, for the most part, me bringing my ideas to your audience, but you're the one who's guiding that. And so I think a lot of people don't realize how much control they have when they're interviewing. And that's one of my favorite things to help people with. Yeah. I actually just realized that I have a client who they have a client who wants to shift from doing a webinar series to a podcast. And my sort of response was, they don't know how much work that is. <laughs> um, like, you know, doing a, an hour long webinar where people get up and speak for a little bit, like really with or without an audience, it's not as much as planning for a podcast and building an audience around a podcast. So I'm going to now direct them to come to you for the next level because I've been thinking <laughs> about how do I respond? And yes, like I'm like you, I'm a person who's very, I'm, I love learning. Um, I'm, I'm good at a lot of things. I like to do a lot of different things, 
but I don't want to become an expert in how to do these. You know, I have to figure out where the lines are, which is You're why an I expert love in having, Zoom. I already know. So, yeah, I'm like, I could teach you everything there is about <laughs> Zoom, but I don't need to then also. So it's just really neat to know. I think this is one of the reasons I love having expansive network is that I can find really quality people to direct to when I'm like, that's a little outside my lane and enough so that, you know, I think of it as a, it would be a passion project. It would be an interesting project, but it would be something that would distract me from other things that I'm much more capable of doing um, and that need my attention more. So um, I'm, I love knowing that you do this because I don't know that many people that offer what you do. I think a lot of folks, I know a lot of folks who prep people for how to be guests. Um, yeah. There's all the podcast placement companies that will do trainings of varying prices and whatever, but, but actually helping people think through, I have a little um, podcast, you know, uh, masterclass that I did. Cause I get this question all the time and, you know, I basically did it uh, years ago and has all the resources I knew at the time. And I just give it to freely to people, but this idea of like, who's your audience of one, that was a message that I got early on to really get clarity and to make sure that that's who you're speaking to. And that's who you're developing. Even when I'm thinking about what question to ask you, right. I'm thinking, right. well, what would my audience want me to ask right now? Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of people get mixed messages and they'll get these ideas or this information like, um, you know, make sure you ask the guest what they want to talk about. And that may not be what your audience wants to hear. Like it's your show. You get to decide that and you get to decide who you want to have on and you get to decide what you want to talk about with them. Well, I have a pet peeve I want to ask you about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The first question I asked you right? How do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Two-part question. I gave it to you in advance. You knew we were going to just dive right in, but I've been a guest on hundreds of shows. And now the question that usually is, tell me about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible question. And it's a terrible question. You already know the answer to this, but it's a terrible question because number one, it's not fair to your guest. They don't know where to go with that. And number two, it's not fair to your audience because you don't know what you're going to get out of it. And so if you are going to ask that question, I would say at least at a minimum, do what you did, which is prep your guest. So before we started, you had a good conversation with me about what the expectations were, who your audience was, kind of what we were going to cover. So I understood who I'm talking to. And so at the bare, bare minimum, if you're going to start with, tell me about yourself, I would at least tell your guest beforehand, I'm going to ask you this, but I'm asking in the context of your creative journey, or I'm asking in the context of your career or of your, you know, the trauma we're, you know, exploring, or like at least give them some kind of framework before you ask that. I've been tempted as a guest to say, I was born in a hospital in <laughs> county of the year was... It was a Sunday, you know, like, I'm like, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, that just putting some time and effort into that opening question can really shift things. Um, and I'm going to give away the secret that I often don't tell guests on air. I don't think I've ever told a guest on air. I always tell them after my aim is to have my guests share something that they haven't shared in a zillion other episodes. So it's always going for the untold story because it's more interesting for the guest because they know their story, but for right. them to have a moment of epiphany or to connect the dots around something or to share a memory they hadn't shared in a while, 
And then it's more interesting for for the audience because they're getting a flavor of this person that they haven't seen in other episodes. And and I will I will say I can feel that. And we've already talked about a bunch of things I haven't talked about before, <laughs> um, which is fun for me. And you have a great way of just really engaging. And we talked about this before that you like the video and you make eye contact and you're actively listening and I feel seen and heard. And that's a great skill. And then you reassess and reframe what I've said for your audience. So that's all, those are all good skills. It's a little bit different than the morning shows, right? So all the morning shows, they say, we want to ask the question nobody else has asked. The truth is that most of your listeners probably haven't heard me on other podcasts, right? They come to you. Now, the fact that you ask things in a different way is really important because you create a natural, engaging conversation and you ask the kinds of things that your listeners are expecting to hear and that they come to you for. I tend to tell podcasters, like, don't think so much about being different. Think about being right for you because the, most of the guests you're having on, it's, it's not like you have like Arnold Schwarzenegger on and everyone's heard 30 interviews with them. At least with me, I'm sure most of your audience hasn't heard another interview with me. So it's great that you're engaging in this natural and curious way and bringing out this kind of thoughtful conversation from me. But you probably don't need to worry about being different so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will. I will tell you the other reason I like doing it is that my guests who have been I, I have some, you know, entrepreneurs who do the circuit, right? Right. Uh, I have some, particularly when they're doing an author tour, <laughs> who yes. have been on lots right. of shows in that moment. Right. My show stands out to them as different. And so they're more likely to share it than right. other ones right. that they just told the same canned story they've told on every other episode. So um, it's, a, it's a little good marketing t trick there too. For sure. Yeah. And I think, um, I think this is where I go back to actually your first question again, which is keeping focused on the ultimate goal. And so mm -hmm. I think you do it because it's the right thing to do and your audience wants it and it makes a great conversation yeah. rather than doing it because it's not what other people do. We don't right, care right. what other people do. We care what you do and what you right. do is great. That's awesome. So um, we mentioned before that the show is about networking and all that. So I do want to kind of bring us this in the, in the latter part of this talk because I can only imagine the kind of Rolodex you have amassed. And by the way, a friend of mine the other day, actually showed me that she has still has a Rolodex on her desk. <laughs> I was like, she's like, awesome. I got it in my first job and I still have it. Um, so when you're thinking about the people you've gotten to know over the years, all these different industries and all these different companies, the journey that you've been on, there's the inner circle of people you stay in touch with that you, you're just going to stay in touch with. You don't have to really think too much about that. But I'm curious about that second and third tier or layer out the people you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, but not right now. These are people you like. And that's, I should sort of preface with, these are people you mutually enjoy each other's company. Is there any kind of habits or philosophies or practices that you're doing to make sure you're sustaining those kinds of connections? I, I heard this question and I was listening intently for every other guest's answer because this is the hard part, right? And, and in my early days, I was terrible at it. And I was the one who would literally... In fact, that story I told you about my first film job, I went back to New York and got in touch with them five years later. And they said, oh, my God, Marion, we wondered what happened to you. You just disappeared off the face of the earth <laughs> because I left the job. I thought about them all the time, but I never reached out. And so I know it's something that I need to do in terms of kind of more practically speaking, 
first of all, I like people. So that part's easy. But um, some really practical, simple things like whenever I meet someone, you know, we shot Spartan Up podcast in person for hundreds and hundreds of episodes. So I met a lot of people in person. And so I would just always go back and reach out and connect with them on Instagram and LinkedIn or wherever they were. And that's just a way to sort of stay connected. And if they post something, comment on it, they see me, you know, I reference them, I mention their interviews. I I often refer back to old interviews, you know, I'll and and I and I really try to credit people. So I will post publicly, you know, I learned this from Robbie and tag Robbie. Um, that's the only thing I have. I'd like to be better at it. And I think I'm going to skip through a bunch of your episodes and just listen to this end question on a bunch and see what I can learn. Yeah, it would be a really interesting white paper to just pull it out. And I think that um, I have sort of, uh, there's a small percentage that are very like, that have responded to this question that are very, um, here's the process that I do very thoughtfully. Um, there are people who I pulled out of the conversation. Like there was this one guy, Chandler Bolt, um, and he created this thing called self-publishing school. And he's very young when he starts it and he does very, very well with it. And somewhere along the lines, we're talking about how he even got started. He made a decision to write a thank you letter to these people who wrote books um, that he learned from. And he did one every day for a year. And it led to people sending him books, giving him opportunities, inviting him to things, offering to mentor him. Like it led to all this. And, you know, he did not start out with the end goal of I'm going to use this to leverage my network, but he decided that this was something he could do. And he almost didn't mention it because <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't like at the forefront of his mind. We had to really tease out like, well, how did you, how do you meet, how do you meet that person? Or how do you meet that person? Like, how does an ordinary human being know all these amazing CEOs? So I, I just think sometimes um, there's that. And then there's the people who are, and it sounds like you're probably one of these people, when you think of someone, you act on it. Like, you know, I think some people like, oh, I'm thinking about so-and-so and they don't act. So you did that for a while, but it sounds like now you're more likely to tag that person or send them something or, right? Exactly. You're yeah. When I, yeah. When I think of them, I act, that's right. And that's, that's something I realized I needed to do. And that's, you know, getting out of my own way and realizing, yeah, people love to hear that. And I yeah. think the story you told the, the thing to me, that's key probably was that these were genuine letters and that's probably why people responded. And I think it's easy for people to kind of pick up a tactic and say, I'm going to write to 30 authors this month, you know, but if they didn't genuinely learn something and they aren't genuinely expressing that gratitude, the results would probably be different. I agree. Oh, I'm so glad you underscored that because the the action is not hard in itself, but the make giving meaning behind the action is what separates yeah. it out. I also just, as content creators, we always appreciate hearing from anyone who's been moved by our content. And it's actually kind of rare to get that kind of genuine reaction or I learned X and then I'm doing Y because of you, or I heard a guest and they inspired me. I mean, I think whether it's on social or email card, I mean, it's always so nice to hear from people who, you know, read your book, read your blog, listen to your podcast, all that. So anyone listening who wants to send like love to Marion for everything she shared today. Or, or to Robbie. Or to me uh, would be a cool thing to do. Um, and then uh, I just started a new practice, actually. Um, I, I went fully into it this year, but last year it started. I, I came across postable.com as a tool to 
organize an online address book. And I've tried CRMs of various types in the past, and they can become very bloated very quickly. They connect to my email, and it, I don't need to have all these people in there. But this was supposed to be like separate from all of that. Only people I genuinely cared about were going to go in. And it was really helpful. I, throughout the you know months, would just sort of send the random like congratulations card or sympathy card or encouraging card. But I'm now doing birthday cards. So I, you know, really like twice a month, look at the upcoming birthdays and think about specific notes for specific people. And I'm getting a couple of, and I forget then, you know, because then weeks go by who I mailed it out to, but then I get these like amazing messages and someone actually mailed me back a handwritten note. Thanking me. You know for what I, I love this idea. <laughs> and this is where I get my own way. I, I often think of mailing things to people. And my problem is I hate to ask for the address because I'm afraid I won't follow through. And it's so disappointing for someone to ask you for your address. And then you're like, why are they asking that? And then nothing ever comes in the mail. And so I don't do that enough. I know you did it on your forum, which was very seamless. And I should probably do that more. But um, yes, I well, I also tell you that, Marion, because uh, I'm all about transparency, it seems. I collected addresses from my guests for probably a year and a half before I had anything systematic around it. But I thought if I don't have it, I can't do anything with it. Exactly. And I had See, sort of I, felt yeah. bummed that I didn't do it for the, few, for the first few years. I was like, oh man, right. you know, that's silly. Like all those other people, I mean, I'm still connected to them on social and all that, but. It, but now I it's awkward, right? To ask them for their address. Yeah. So it's, so that, that it's sort of, you got to get started somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened was postable.com has, and they're not like promoting my show or anything. I just like these tools, but they, um, they have this online address book, but then I realized, well, oh, they they sell cards. <laughs> That's actually their purpose. So once the address book was set up, it really wasn't hard to then, I mean, of course I could buy a stack of cards and have stamps on my desk, but I, it, I got a block around that. I just accept that now. <laughs> um, the handwriting is so much nicer when I do this online than when I'm like trying to figure out how to do it myself. So anyway, I mean, I, these little things, it, it makes a yeah, difference over yeah. time. It's pretty cool. It makes cool. a huge difference. I, I, I'm going to try to figure out some better ways to do that, to reach out, to stay in touch. Yeah. So uh, as we're moving into the last question here, which is one of my favorites, if we're, um, well, I mean, you and I are going to keep crossing paths because we've been doing that now for a while, but let's say it's a year from now and we're uh, toasting all of your successes. What are we celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? First of all, what, when you started to ask me this question, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what Robbie's going to be doing in a year and a half. <laughs> and I forgot I that. that it was a question for me. I, my imagination went, um, I will be coaching podcasters. That's what I will be doing. I will be better at it and I will know more of them and I'll have more tips and you know, I'll be better at expressing this advice clearly. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to celebrate that with you. Any, any personal goals that you're aiming for? Any trips now that we're able to start moving around the planet again here and there? Well, I, um, I do this thing where I run a mile every day. Did I tell you about that? No. Ooh. A couple of years ago, I woke up one morning on January 2nd and I wrote my journal. I'm going to run one mile every day. And I started running one mile every day, just one mile, but every day. And I've been doing it on and off. Last year, I had a streak of 265 days in a row that I ran one mile and, um, and it doesn't count if I like happen to be walking, like, you know, you put your shoes on and you go for a run. Um, 
And so this year, I think I'm on day 34 or something like that. So that's kind of a big, a big goal is just to keep up with that. That's really, I like this. I mean, I think that you got to get started. And the fact that you have the streaks to keep you going, like that keeps, I mean, right now the streak I'm focusing on the most is Wordle, but you know. (laughs) Whatever works. Whatever works, but yeah. It's a great way to hack my psychology. I love it. So it, number one, it destroys excuses because it only takes 15 or 20 minutes. So any day, and it doesn't take equipment. I don't have to think about like what workout I'm doing or anything like that. I just have to go out the door and do it. And the other thing is I don't want to stop because if I'm on day 34, I got to go back to one if I start again. So I just, you, you're in Vermont. Yeah. So what do you do when it's cold and snowy? I run in the cold. There's a lot, you have to check out my Instagram. There's a lot of pictures of me in a hat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to make sure those links all go there. Speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? So Mad Motion is the name of my company. It's my tag on Instagram and everything else. And my podcast is called Grounded Content. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Mary, thank you so much for this conversation. Robbie, you're awesome. That was really fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Marion. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 273. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they've built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.